family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. series uh, we started last week and Stacy was in here uh, talking about what does it mean for us to be passionate in worship? Uh, what does it mean for us to worship passionately as individuals? Uh, talking about the, the heart, the heart of worship and, and what it means for us to, um, to give our full selves to God. Today uh, we talk, kind of move into what it means for us to worship passionately as a church. What does it mean for us to, to be gathered together as a corporate body focused on making disciples of Christ who worship passionately, who, uh, who, who witness boldly, and who love extravagantly? So today we, we talk about what it means for us to worship passionately as a congregation. Uh, so I grew up in, uh, in Kansas City, and in my church in Kansas City, um, when I was a little kid, uh, I, I remember... Uh, this, just a, a DNA within my church that was uh, very passionate in worship. Um, you could call them a, a charismatic church. Um, you, if you walked in about 15 minutes late and the, the worship was really getting going, you'd see about 90% of the congregation with their hands raised, uh, probably somebody dancing in the aisles somewhere. Um, and uh, we, we didn't go so far as to like people running laps around the church or anything, but uh, we were pretty close to there. Uh, and so I remember specifically standing in the aisle as a little kid, um, and, and I had to stand in the aisle because if I was in my, in, in my pew or in the, the seats, uh, no one would see me. And so I, I made sure that I was standing in the aisle with my hands raised and my eyes uh, up to the sky and every once in a while a little peek to see who was watching, you know. Um, and, and it's not like, that, not like I knew what I was doing or why I was doing that, but, but the people around me, I saw people who I loved and respected. I saw the way that they worshiped and the way that, that they poured out their hearts to God. And so I wanted to mimic that. So uh, I remember specifically one, uh, one Sunday, uh, we had uh, our children's, children's pastor had left the church, and, um, and we were looking for a new children's pastor, and so the, part of the search process was that someone would come and, and, uh, and lead, lead worship for our, our kids' ministry. And so our kids' ministry, we, we were gathered, um, and there was, a, there was uh, this song that we were singing, um, and it said, uh, one of the lines of the song said, we bow down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And I remember that line because, uh, because I had like, worship moves, right? And so like certain, certain words, like if, some, if the song said like, raise your hands, then I'd be like, first one, raise my hands, you know? Um, if it said worship, if, bow down, I was like, that's like extreme. And so I'm gonna hit my knees as soon as it says bow down. And that, that pastor or that, that worship uh, leader is gonna be like, oh man, this kid is super spiritual, you know? 
And so, uh, so I had my worship moves ready. And, uh, and as, as the song was, was going, the line right before we bowed down, the girl in front of me hit her knees before the word was ever even said. She hit her knees. She stole my move. And I, I just remember being so ticked because now if I do that, I just look like a copycat, right? I'm just like a poser now. And I'm not the spiritual one. She's the spiritual one. I was, I was so mad at her because she stole my worship move. So what does it, what, what does it mean for us to be a, a passionately worshiping congregation? Does that mean that, that every time the word bow down hits in, the, in, in a song, that, that we should be hitting our knees and, and raising our hands in worship? I would say... I would say that God is calling us as a congregation to a spiritual depth which leads into passionate worship. And so uh, I have three things from scripture that I think speak into uh, what it means for us as a congregation to, to be passionate, a passionately worshiping congregation. And we see all throughout scripture, uh, the congregations, the, the gathering of people singing praises to God. Maybe the very first one uh, we see in Exodus chapter 15, right? As, as the, the Israelite people are being chased across the Red Sea by the, by the Egyptians, uh, the, the, the walls of the sea close in around the Egyptian people and the Israelite people make it to the other side safe. And they break into song. The very first words that Moses and Miriam sing with the, with the entire Israelite people is, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. You see, they were passionate in worship because they recognized the presence of God and they recognized the goodness of God. They recognized the presence of God and the things that he had just done right there that were so spectacular and the goodness of God to save his people and they couldn't help but to enter into a place of praise, of passionate worship. So passionate worship is number one, an intentional response to the goodness and the presence of God. I remember uh, a moment similar to this as we were uh, in Israel uh, and it was right on the heels of COVID, and COVID had, had just hit in this area in Palestine. And, uh, and we, so we were being chased out of, kind of run out of Palestine because they didn't want us there. Uh, they didn't want us to get, to get COVID. Um, and, and so we were leaving Palestine and entering it back into Israel. So Palestine didn't want us in their place. Israel didn't want us because we had just come from Palestine where the, where the outbreak had, had been. And so we, we left Palestine in this, like, this gap, this space they called no man's land, where nobody owns it, nobody, nobody has this land. And so we had to leave Palestine. They don't want us to come back. We had to enter into Israel, and they don't want us because we just, we're just in this area. And I remember being on the bus uh, and being uh, so worried, so uh, concerned that what if we, don't, if we don't get in, if they don't let us into Israel, we don't know what we're gonna do. We're just gonna be stuck in this no man's land where nobody, nobody lives, nobody, nobody operates. And I remember huddled up in these circles, praying together on the bus. And as we entered the gate that got us into to Israel, uh, 
It's like the guy at the front didn't get the memo. Because on the other side, at the other entrance to Israel, there were like 80 buses lined up and they weren't letting anybody through. But when we pulled up to this gate, the guy just pretty much waved us through. And there was this moment, like we were like holding our breaths, like just praying to God to let us in. And there was this moment that happened whenever we passed by and our guide looked at us and said, we're good to go. There was a a, a breakout, an eruption, and it's a, a moment that I'll never forget of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Um, and it was, it was this, like we didn't coordinate it or plan it. It just, it was just like this joyous rejoicing, this passionate worship because we had seen the goodness of God in that moment. David uh, experienced the same thing. He experienced the presence of God when, when the, the Ark of the Covenant was brought back in, um, when they had finally received the presence of God back with the people David dances this dance in 2 Samuel 6, this dance because of the presence of God. He's so excited that he dances in an undignified manner. He, he actually strips off his clothes and is in his, his, like, his underwear, pretty much, is dancing in the streets, a totally uh, undignified thing for a king to be doing, but he was so joyous that it led him to a place of dancing because he, He recognized the goodness of God and the presence of God. Church, we passionately worship when we we, uh, recognize in in our daily lives the goodness of God and the presence of God. And then we come together with the presence of God within each one of us and we join together in in that voice, giving, giving thanks for all that God has done that week. So, so, what does it mean for us to passionately worship? Does it mean that we need to strip down into our skivvies and dance through the aisles? I hope not, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think, I think uh, we see in, in Psalm 51, David, that same heart in David comes back and recognizes in the midst of a, a really broken season in his life, he recognizes that, that it's not just about the, the, the hands lifted and the... And the the dancing in the streets, it's, um, it's so much more than that. I don't think that just, just having our hands lifted in praise is a, a, a temperature for the spirit, a spiritual thermometer for our congregation. Like we could all stand here with our hands lifted and, and raised and have a heart that is not focused on God at all and, and, and we would not be passionately worshiping. I think there is something to be said about the posture of our of our bodies, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the posture of our, of, our, of our bodies reflects the posture of our souls. And so if we are um, arms crossed and closed in our posture, it leads to a, a closed process. I, I see some of you uncrossing your arms now. Um, it leads to, a, it leads to a, 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 a reflection of the posture of our souls. If we are uh, praying, that's why we, pray, why we bow our, uh, our head and we hit our knees in prayer, it's because we're humbling ourselves before the Lord and our, our posture oftentimes impacts the, the, the posture of our soul. And so I think there is something to be said about arms raised and, and open because we are surrendering to God. We are open to receive the things that God has for us. But more than that, it's passionate worship is an attitude of the heart. 
Psalm 51, 15 through 17 says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, but I would bring it, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, for my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, and you, God, will not despise. Passionate worship is an attitude of our hearts. I know oftentimes we come into worship distracted. We come into worship uh, thinking about the grocery list that we, uh, that we have or where we're going to go to eat and if the pastor is going to be out, uh, is going to get us out in time so that we can, we can beat the Baptist to lunch, right? Uh, but, but oftentimes um, those things become a, a fight for our heart, for the focus of our heart, for the uh, for our ability to come before God with a broken and contrite heart and saying, God, fill, fill me up. I think it's important, important that we are focused as we worship, as we sing on a heart that is humbled before God. And out of that heart will come passionate worship. Now, I recognize that that sometimes um, we don't feel like raising our hands in worship. I recognize that, that we don't come in sometimes with a, an attitude that's like, I just want oh, to explode with joy and passion for worship. I just want to dance in the aisles because of all that God has done this week. Because sometimes our week sucks. Sometimes there are things that have happened throughout our week that lead us into this place and we're like, God, I'm kind of ticked right now at you. And we, we, we struggle to find joy in these seats because there's something keeping us from the joy of the Lord. One of my favorite passages, uh, favorite verses in scripture is in uh, Nehemiah 8.10. And it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Did you hear that? It wasn't my joy It's not my joy that is my strength in the midst of difficult times. It is the joy of the Lord that is my strength. His joy never fails. Even though my joy might might run out, even though my joy might be circumstantial, uh, my joy is insufficient for the the difficulties of life. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. As As we rub up against the joy of the Lord, then we get a little bit of that joy too. But if we find ourselves distant from the Lord, we can't expect to experience his joy. Our joy is found as we rub up against the goodness of God. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. God doesn't want you here on Sunday morning. God doesn't, or God does want you here. The enemy doesn't want you here on Sunday morning. That was a, please don't make that the soundbite for the week. Heretic, right? The enemy does not want you here on Sunday morning because the enemy does not want you in the presence of God where you might experience the joy of the Lord. The third thing that we see in scripture is that passionate worship is a battle cry against the enemy. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 18 through 21, we see this this beautiful passage. This beautiful passage where the Israelite army uh, 
the Israelite nation is up against three uh, conquering armies, three armies that are much more equipped, much more battle ready, much larger, and they're all coming for Israel. Like all at the same time are teaming up against Israel. Talk about doom and gloom. Talk about a, a really rough situation. You think that the situation that you're in is rough? How about knowing that there's three armies coming to literally wipe you off the face of the earth? And they're all bigger, they're all stronger, they're all greater than your, than your ability to fight. And I love what the Israelite armies do. They don't, they're not strategizing and figuring out ways to make avalanches happen, to crush all, you know, all the things that you would see in the movies. You know, you know what they do? Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed, his face, bowed down with his face to the ground and all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. This is before the armies ever came. Then, the, then some of the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and they praised the Lord and God, the God of Israel with a very loud voice projected, even the men projecting with a loud voice. And early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, this is the place where they're going to meet these armies. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, listen to me, Judah, and the people of Israel, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the, splen- for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. The crazy thing, as we fast forward in this story, the crazy thing that happens is that as they turn the corner and enter into this valley, this valley where they, they know that they're about to get um, face the, the three armies that are going to be the biggest battle that they've ever faced. Do they see three armies ready to take them out? No. When they step into this valley, they see bodies all over the place, slain all throughout the valley. And what they recognized in that space is that the battle is not theirs. The battle belongs to the Lord. And in their praise, the greatest weapon that they had was to sing and declare the goodness of God, to praise God. And you know what God did in that moment? He confounded the armies against each other. He, he confused their thoughts, and they began to ambush one another. They began, those three armies took each other out before Israel even stepped onto the battlefield. Church, I don't know what the battle is that you're facing, but I promise you the greatest weapon against that battle is not, is not you pulling up your bootstraps and facing it. The greatest weapon that you have against that battle is to declare the praises of God, is to, to come together with your brothers and sisters, with your, your fellow followers of Christ, and to declare, to sing aloud the goodness of God, and something happens in the spiritual realm when we do that. 
Something happens that we can't even begin to fathom or imagine. He goes out before us and wins in victory. Before you can ever step foot on the battlefield of this next week, God is already working in victory right here in this space. And so as we sing the praises of God, we are sending out the Spirit to win the victories. Men, sing aloud. Because we are calling on the name of God. Women, sing aloud because we are calling on a power so much greater than ours when we join together in unified worship. Church, as we sing, as we passionately worship God, it comes from a heart tuned to God's. It comes from a broken and contrite heart. We experience the joy of the Lord as we rub up against his presence because he's here. And as we sing, may our singing be victory in a battle that we've been fighting for years, for days, for months, or just maybe. Maybe it's a victory in a battle that we didn't even know that we are facing. But God is going before you because the battle does not belong to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. So churches, will you stand with us? Will you stand and join your voices? Maybe the posture of your heart looks a little bit like this and God's calling it to look a little bit like this. Let's sing together because... As we join our voices, we are fighting a battle that we, we can't even begin to fathom. Amen.